Case number 21-7128, State of Libya, Appellant v. Strabag SE. Mr. Perla for the Appellant, Mr. Byrne for the Appellate. Morning, Council. Mr. Perla, please proceed when you're ready. Good morning, and may it please the Court. The fundamental defect in this arbitral award is that the Tribunal failed to decide an issue submitted by the parties. Who is entitled to keep 98 million euros that Libya advanced to Strabag for work that was never done? Even though the contracts provide for who gets the money, the arbitrators refused to decide the issue because they were worried that if they credited Libya for the advanced payments, Libya might get a double recovery if it later called on, wrongfully called on, certain guarantees securing those funds. So what did they do instead? They said, and I quote, this matter should be addressed, must be addressed, outside the context of this arbitration. In doing so, they awarded Strabag, in effect, a double recovery. The arbitrators believed this was acceptable because after balancing the equities and their concerns over the status of the guarantees, they found it was more acceptable and for their own sense of good order and fundamental fairness to put the risk on Libya rather than Strabag. You're focusing on one sentence at the end of that section of the order. But if you read the section in its entirety, they do seem to reject the various grounds that were asserted for the setoff. They say there's no unjust enrichment. There was no misuse of funds. Libyan law doesn't compel this. It seems like they decided it against you. And then they have this aside at the end that had they gone the other way, they would have created a fairness problem. And it might or might not be right, but it sure seems like they decided the issue. Well, Your Honor, I don't believe that they decided the advanced payments issue, which is ultimately the issue that was before them. Who's entitled to keep this money? And when you look at the entire structure of the section, section nine that deals with this issue, it identifies it as the issue of the advanced payment. And then it drops a footnote that refers to the dissent and says this section of the award should be read in conjunction with the dissent. And when you read the dissent, it's criticizing the majority precisely for failing to, and I believe it is, having performed a task partially completed because they had failed to decide the issue of the advanced payments. The majority does not rebut or reject that characterization of what they did in that section. And when you go through it, you realize that nowhere in the section do they say that Strabag is entitled to keep the money. In fact, nowhere in the award do they make that conclusion. And multiple times they say we're not conducting a global settlement of accounts. We're not doing a wrapping up of who owes what to who ultimately under these contracts. And they focus on the guarantees, which is a very critical point. Their obsession with the guarantees shows that they weren't deciding the issue of the advanced payments because otherwise, if they had intended to say Strabag is entitled to keep the money, they wouldn't be preoccupied about the guarantees. It would have been clear to the parties that Libya didn't have a right to call on those guarantees. 
In fact, multiple times, Libya throughout the litigation has conceded that if the award had clearly said that uh, Libya was entitled to this money, it would not have a right to call in the guarantees afterwards. And then you have... So you view that issue to be a closed one, whether Libya has the right to call on the guarantees? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. you. You view that to be a closed issue, whether Libya has a right to call on the guarantees? Well, that is a status that is uncertain right now, as the tribunal uh, pointed out, because there is no determination of liability. Who is entitled to those funds? So it remains an issue that must be addressed outside the context of this arbitration as the uh, arbitrators concluded. Do you think the arbitrators contemplate doing anything more when and if this is addressed outside the context of this arbitration? If I understand correctly, Your Honor, yes, they contemplated that more needed to be done outside the context. No, do they contemplate doing more? They, the arbitrators? Yes. Uh, they don't feel like they need to go any further because they believe that after balancing the equities, uh, they couldn't get themselves to say who owed the money to whom. But that doesn't mean... Which is another way of saying that you all sought a set-off from the arbitrators and they declined to give it to you. Again, Your Honor, I think the issue is not a set-off. It is who is entitled to keep this money. What do we do about these advanced payments that Strabag did not do any work to earn. So there, this is a real commercial conundrum because it's important to understand that the advance payments were not a signing bonus that they just get to keep from day one. It was a loan to finance the upfront costs of the project. So here they are holding 98 million euros of Libya's money, and there is no determination as to whether they have to return that money, even though they haven't earned it, they haven't done the work, and they've never claimed that they've done the work to earn those uh, th that those funds. But, Your Honor, this brings me to the other point, which is excess of powers. I'm sorry, which is, what is excess it? of powers. Yeah. Talk about Say it now. again. What? Excess of powers. Oh, excessive. Yes. Yeah, okay. So this is the other grounds upon which the award should be well, made. But before you go to that, can I just ask you about a different part of your brief? Um, you say in your brief, and I'm quoting here, uh, that it's a, you say that panel's decision is lawless because the majority considered good order and fundamental fairness. Um, but as I read their decision, they only considered fairness after they rejected all of your other legal arguments. So, I mean, how can you call this decision lawless? Well, Your Honor, uh, lawless in the sense that they didn't rely on a rule of law or a contract. Provision. They rejected every one of your arguments and then considered consider fairness at the end. Well, they, they rejected reasons for not applying a set-off, but they didn't resolve the underlying issue which was submitted to them, which is the question of the advanced payments. And we know that they didn't do that because otherwise they wouldn't have been so preoccupied about the status of the guarantees and Libya potentially getting a double recovery. That issue just would not remain because it would have made it clear that Strabag was entitled to keep that money. Is there any evidence in the record that Libya that there was a double recovery or even could be? I couldn't find any numbers where I could even figure that out. Yes, Your Honor. Where, was, where is that? Could, well, to, yeah. well, I, you know, I can point you to a couple of places. One is the damages section towards the end of the award where the tribunal concludes that uh, Strabag is entitled to get about 74 
million euros plus costs and, and interest. Uh, and then in the advanced payment section, section nine, I believe it's paragraph 876 or 77, right around there, right around there, uh, the tribunal says that Libya paid about 98 million euros in uh, advances that were not earned. Mm -hmm. So if they weren't earned, that means that the money was Libya's money. And if they use the money as straw bag claims to buy equipment, to cover costs, to continue running the projects, uh, even though they were getting late payments, that means that Libya has already paid for those damages. So to make to give them damages for those same expenses on the award is basically making Libya pay twice, once with the advanced payments and then again by having to pay on this award. And the problem, uh, in addition to the finality point, is that the uh, tribunal looked to their own sense of good order and fundamental fairness. There was no rule of law that required them to resolve the issue of the advanced payments together with the issue of the guarantees. Their mandate was to determine what the party's rights and obligations were vis-a-vis -vis each other under these contracts. And instead of doing that, they were concerned. They, were, they wringed their hands saying, well, we don't know what's going to happen with these guarantees. We can't do anything about that. And because it, they believed it would be unfair uh, to Strabag, they decided to put the burden on Libya. And that is an excess of powers because they, when a panel decides an issue based on their own brand of economic fairness rather than the rule of law, it has to be vacated as an excess of power. Now, add a couple points. You don't think in a contract case, an arbitrator can ask whether or not a particular element damage would amount to a double recovery? Yes, but, but Your Honor, that's not what they determined. They didn't make a determination as to whether uh, Strabag was entitled to the advance payments and therefore would be subject to, as they put it, double jeopardy, the inverse, if Libya called on the guarantees. And they left open whether Libya would be getting a double recovery if they called on the guarantees after being credited for the monies in the award. So the issue was not, are, they, don't, they don't say, are we granting a double recovery? And this is why we're avoiding it. They're saying we're concerned that there might be an issue of double recovery. We don't have a way to control for that. So we're going to avoid putting Strabag in the situation of being, um, Your Honor, I see that my time is up. I can finish, finish your response. response. Okay. Um, we're, we don't want to put Strabag in the situation of being at a disadvantage if Libya were wrongfully to call on the guarantees. So we're just going to avoid the issue altogether and let the parties resolve it somewhere else. Can I, can I ask you one question? And then we will give you a bit of time for rebuttal. Um, You've in your briefing and then this morning you've said several times that there's a difference between the set off issue and who's entitled to the advance payments. And I'm just wondering, did you ever make that argument in any make that distinction and ask for a decision on that in any post um, decision submission to the arbitral panel or even to the district court? Yes, Your Honor, to both. And the issue was clear that the underlying basis for the requested set off was the advanced payments issue. That, is the, that was the issue that was before the, the uh, tribunal, and that is what the tribunal focused on. You look at the title of Section 9, and it's not the setup. It's the advanced payments. That is what they knew that they had to decide, and that is what they left open as the dissent. Note. But did you, did you point that out? I know, I know you're making the distinction now, but did you submit something to the tribunal? Maybe you did. 
Yes, Your Honor, we did, and I can get you a joint appendix sites on rebuttal if that's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Byrne. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Judge Srinivasan, and may it please the court. Uh, Libya's argument this morning has asked in a number of ways for this court to essentially displace the findings of the uh, of the arbitration tribunal, both with respect to the, the factual findings that it made in reviewing the claims before it, but also with respect to what the issue was before the tribunal. So several times this morning, Libya has indicated that there's a distinction between asking for a set off and asking for the advance payments. But I would direct this uh, court to paragraph 74 and, and 880 of the uh, of the arbitral tribunal's decision in which it said Libya only requested a set off, uh, not a counterclaim for unpaid balances, doesn't go on to talk about asking for the advance payments or the guarantees. Rather, Libya only requested a set off. So that was the issue that was submitted to the to the tribunal and the tribunal resolved it. Libya admits on now concedes on page 13 of its opening brief that the tribunal, quote, specifically denied Libya's request for a set off, unquote. And Libya further admits on page six of its reply brief that the tribunal rejected the particular arguments that Libya advanced in favor of its set off claim. That, that particularly given the deferential standard review when a, when a court looks at an arbitral award should be the beginning and the end of this, of this case. Okay. Did they, did they? Decide they they firmly decided not to order a set off, as I read it, but they didn't decide whether um, the letter of credit was still in place, which would enable um, the double recovery, right? That, that's right. So, so, it, so I mean, don't they have to resolve that? One way or the other, I mean, there's either going to there's either going to be a double recovery one way or the other, depending on how you um, how you treat the advance payments, right? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I don't think that's right. Um, so, so a couple of points. First of all, the the only question before the the tribunal was was a question of whether Libya was entitled to a set off from Strava. And so they, Libya presented several arguments in favor of why I thought it was due a set off, either with under the terms of the contracts themselves or under the terms of, of Libyan law, unjust enrichment, so on and so forth. As you said, the, I mean, the, so, suppose the letter of credit had expired. There's no question about that. And the harm to Strawback is whatever it is without reference to the advance payments. I mean, how could you? And and that's what's awarded, um, right? So, so let me help clarify. The, the, the reason why there's no double recovery, and I think this is this is um, you know indicated by the tribunal's decision, is that when you're talking about on the one hand Libya's claims for damages, and on the other hand the the advance payments to which Libya is referring, these are sort of separate pots of money. These aren't overlapping pots of money. The the one way of thinking about it is that imagine that I thought they were advanced payments for 
performance only under like they are for performance under the contract but Livia's claims for damages were on things like for instance payment certificates for work that had already been done uh and other damage no, but forget about any affirmative claims Libya might right. have asserted but did not so just in terms of figuring out what damages your client would be entitled to right so, so their claim their claim on the advance payments was was premised on the idea but this was money that was sitting out there that um, that Libya had paid to Strabag that had not been used. That was basically sitting in Strabag's pocket. And right, it's the, like an advance on performance. Yeah, and, and what the what the tribunal found, and this is at um, this is I believe at uh, uh, paragraph nine hundred, is that the the, the testimony um, of the of the witnesses established the tribunal's satisfaction. That not only the advance payments, but actually substantial additional funds from Strabag had actually been deployed in, in service of, of, the, of the contract. So this, this is like a circumstance where imagine that you hired a contractor to build a home mm-hmm. and the, the, the house costs $100,000 um, cost $100, uh, and the contractor is given an advance payment of $10,000 right. to start work. So work happens for a month. The contractor sends a bill for you know, $8,000 for, for the work that's been done to date. Um, and it takes out a little bit the proportional amount of, of the right. advance payment. Um, but but no payment is ever made. And so the contractor then takes the money from the advance payment and puts it towards the work of building the house. It buys the lumber, buy, you know, buys the paint, hires people to do that work. That's sort of the circumstance that we're in now. So our claim was for, for work that we had already done. Libby is now claiming for um, the the you know the the advance payments, but the advance payments have already been employed for for Olivia's benefit in terms of putting forward the you know putting forth the work uh, un, under the contract, and and, that, and that's what the tribunal found, and so that's why the district court found there is no double recovery here. Um, the, uh, the the money has already basically been used for Olivia's benefit. On the other hand, there really was a risk of double jeopardy to to Olivia. I'm sorry, to to Strabag, um, uh, had the the tribunal tribunal gone in a, a different direction because, um, you know, Libya's witnesses indicated that depending on how the arbitration was going to come out, they were going to call on these guarantees. And the guarantees are, in a sense, a little bit separate from the ultimate, uh, or at least Libya's argued that they're separate from the ultimate question of, of who gets what under the contract. And so Strava would have been at real risk had, had Libya attempted to, uh, to call on the guarantees. Um, and I think one of the things that the tribunal, which I think was fair for it to consider, after all, uh, Libya is invoking these equitable arguments, unjust enrichment, restitution. One of the things I think that the, the tribunal appropriately considered is, okay, well, what are the consequences? You know, would it really be just? Would it, would, would it, would it really, you know, would, is this a circumstance that calls for unjust enrichment and restitution? Those are among the things that the tribunal looked at. But, but the ultimate question, I think, before this court you know, isn't whether the tribunal got it right or wrong. It, it's simply the question of whether the tribunal decided the questions that were before it. Um, you know, this court has indicated that as long as the tribunal is even arguably acting within the scope of its authority or, or construing or applying the contract or treated hand, there's no basis to vacate the tribunal's decision, even if a, even if this court were to disagree with the tribunal's legal or factual findings. Um, and, and, and here we do think that those findings, they were not the product of some sort of Material miscalculation of the of the um, uh, or or the tribunal's lawless uh, mistrust of Libyan civil servants, as as Libya has argued, rather the tribunal's reasoned um, analysis of the contracts, the treaty, and the law, and therefore Libya falls well short of, of the very heavy burden it bears to show that um, uh, the, 
not only that the tribunals award, I'm sorry, that the district court, which is due deference, that its findings should be reversed, but also that the tribunals award should be vacated. I have one quick question just about the issue that's going to come up with the guarantees if it arises. Is it your understanding that the parties disagree on whether the Libya's entitlement to call in the guarantees turns on whether the advance payments were in fact used in furtherance of Libya's interest under the contract? I don't think that the status of the advance payments is dispositive of what would happen if the guarantees are called for. My understanding of the guarantees is that the guarantees may be called on independent of any legal claim. So in other words, let's say that the contract was going swimmingly, all the work was being done. Libya theoretically could have called on the guarantees, and then there might well be subsequent claims that the parties could bring in against themselves, probably between Al-Hani and Libya, the actual parties of the contract. So I think that that's a separate question, and what happened with the advance payments certainly might bear upon the outcome of that subsequent claim, but I don't think they bear on whether the guarantees themselves could be called. Are there any other questions? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Byrne. Mr. Perla, we'll give you the two minutes that you try to reserve for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. A couple quick points. One, the counterclaim point, it doesn't resolve the issue of what the arbitrators didn't do, because ultimately they understood that the issue was the advance payments. There's a court of investment treaty arbitrations where a contracting state can't bring a claim. Some tribunals have decided that they can't bring claims under the treaties, but either way, whether it had been styled as a counterclaim or a setoff, the basis upon which the tribunal relied for not deciding the issue of the advance payments would have remained, which, as Your Honors have focused on, is the status of the guarantees. That would have still troubled the tribunal, so it wouldn't have made a difference. What can they do other than just decide the claims as presented to them? You didn't bring an affirmative claim on this for that pot of money. You just sought an offset, and they denied it. Again, Your Honor, I think it wouldn't have made a difference if it had been styled as a counterclaim affirmatively or as an affirmative defense in terms of a setoff. The underlying concern about the status of the guarantees would have remained, and the tribunal presumably would have not ruled on the issue just like it didn't in the setoff. And that's important. I think Strabag concedes that these are two separate instruments, the contracts and the guarantees. You don't need to resolve the guarantees to determine liability. Yet it also acknowledges that if you resolve the liability question, then that would have a bearing on whether or not the guarantees could be called on. And before my time is up, Chief Judge, I will give you the sites that I promised you. You can look at JA856. This is where we talk about the difference between the terms of the contracts and in terms of the advance payments versus the setoff. And also, as an example, in our reply brief at 5, and I believe also 14, which is not in the record, but it's in the district court, we make the distinction as well. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you to both counsel. We'll take this case under submission.